0: Welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Good morning. Ah, oh, Whoever did that announcement really just knocked it out of the park. I, I'll tell y'all what. Uh, it's good to be with you here this morning. My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. Uh, So what the video said, too, is it's focused on people who have lost a loved one, but we also know that grief is more than just uh, death of someone we love. So if you're experiencing grief of any kind, I would encourage you to just come and just meet with our Lord here tonight. Uh, I'm Pastor Jeremy Bass, the pastor of discipleship and the main uh, preacher here at this contemporary service. It's good to be with you all here this morning. Today is the third week of Advent. We're in the middle of our Advent sermon series that we've called Undistance. And it's about this idea how we are a people who are acutely aware of what distance does to our hearts. We're acutely aware of what it feels like to be distant from one another, to be distant from our loved ones, and maybe even by extension to then be distant from God himself. And this Advent, the season of Advent that we find ourselves in, is about how God comes down from heaven and undistances himself from us. That God condescends to our level, becomes human, takes on flesh, and becomes, he tabernacles with us, as the scripture says. He dwells in our presence. And so we've been looking at the different ways that God undistances himself from us. And as we descend down into the manger in Bethlehem, we looked and we talked about in week one how God draws near to us, looking at that First John passage. Last week, we talked about Elizabeth and Zachariah and how God hears the cries of our hearts. And today, we're talking about how God sees us. God sees us as we really are. And this is the story of Mary. So if you have your Bibles and you want to open them up, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. This is Mary's story. This is the word of the Lord. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And then the angel left her. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I love reading the commentaries of the early church. We are sitting on a treasure trove of knowledge, uh, being 2,000. We have 2,000 years of Christian reflection of some of the smartest people in the history of the world reflecting on what it means to be a Christian and in interpretations of the scriptures. And so I love diving into that wisdom. And as I was reading the scripture for this week and preparing the sermon for this week, uh, the early church really picked up on a really cool theme that I want to draw out this morning. The early church read this Mary story and looked at the story of Mary and they saw this parallel between the Genesis story of Eve and Mary's story here in Luke. Particularly Luke, the story of Mary and the, the angel coming and visiting and Mary's response and how it almost perfectly parallels Eve's story in Genesis. And I think we as Protestants have done Mary a disservice. I think we overcorrected from some critiques we had about the Catholic Church. When you read the Scripture, Mary is really the only person in the Gospel who really gets Jesus. And Mary is held up in scripture as a woman of honor. And as we'll see here, uh, there's a parallel between Eve that this place of honor that the Lord gives Mary. The early church called Mary the the theotokos, which is one of my favorite Greek words, the theotokos, the God-bearer, the one who held Jesus in her womb. And to truly understand what Luke is talking about and the parallel that Luke makes here in his gospel, we need to go back to the beginning of our story, to go back to the beginning of Genesis, starting in Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And then the woman saw that the fruit in the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some of it and ate it. And she also gave some of it to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So our story starts off with nothing and then God creates everything. And the creation that our Lord God makes is in a state of grace, in a state of favor with him. And it is good. The opening chapters of Genesis talk about the goodness of creation. And the one rule that the Lord establishes for humanity is don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, don't try to be like God. But then we hear, we see that Eve is deceived by the serpent. Eve is deceived by Satan. In Christian tradition, we interpret that uh, to be Satan, to be a demon, to be a fallen angel. And that through her and Adam's disobedience, that sin enters the world. And the rest of the Old Testament is unpacking the devastation that sin causes in the human condition. The, the war, the, the famine, the, the alienation from God, all these bad things in the world that it's just a domino effect of the corrupted nature of our world and the corrupted nature of our body and the corrupted nature of ourselves. That the whole of humanity is now corrupted because of sin That the image of God that we see in Genesis, that the Lord created us in his image and his likeness has also been corrupted and death now reigns over our bodies. And so we can see here, to sum up kind of the Eve story, Eve hears the serpent, hears the corrupted angel, believes the corrupted angel, believes Satan, leads to a false belief in God. And that false belief in God then leads to her disobedience. And then through Eve's disobedience, death enters into the world. That through sin, the image of God on us as humans is corrupted and marred. And so then what is God to do with that? What's God's solution to that? How is the Lord going to respond to a mess that we created to a mess that we are constantly making in our own lives. How is the Lord going to respond? Athanasius, one of the most brilliant men in church history, uh, he, he used this analogy in talking about what was God to do. He says, if a painter paints a masterpiece, and then someone comes and vandalizes the painting, throws paint on it, do you throw the painting away in the garbage? Or does the painter come back and try to restore what has been marred and broken? He says, of course the painter wouldn't just throw it away. The painter would try to restore and redeem what was broken. And then he says, how much more will God do that to us? How much more will God redeem and remake and restore us? I love this quote by St. Athanasius. He says, it was then out of the question to leave men to the current of corruption because this would be unseemly and unworthy of God's goodness. In other words, God's character would not allow us to stay in this broken state. That God sees us as we truly are. All of our faults all of our brokenness, all of our sin, all of our corruption, that God sees us and he chooses to show us grace and to redeem us and restore us from our brokenness. We see hints of God's desire to do this literally right after the fall of humanity. In Genesis 3.15, we see hints of this where the Lord says to Eve, or the Lord says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Uh, This is sort of what's called a a proto-ulangelion or a a pre-gospel or hints of the gospel, seeds of the gospel that we see in the Old Testament. That God sees our state and refuses to leave us in that state. And so then we come back to the Mary story. If that's Eve's story, that Eve has an encounter with a fallen angel, believes the word of the fallen angel, that believes the false belief about God, and that leads to her disobedience, which leads to death entering into the world. We get to Mary's story here in Luke. Mary, in the beginning, has an angelic visitation from Gabriel. The messenger Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, comes and meets with Mary. The angel Gabriel gives Mary a word of what God will do. Mary believes the word of the angel. So, all we see see parallels that we have an angelic visitation, a word from the angel, and then Mary believes the word of the angel. But here's where the, the shift happens is that Mary submits in obedience to the word of God. And that through Mary's obedience, life enters into the world through Jesus Christ. That through Mary's obedience, life enters the world. That Mary, as the scripture seems to be painting, the early church picked up on this, that Luke is telling the story about how Mary is sort of a new Eve, an Eve who does not respond with disobedience, but responds with obedience. And the fruit of obedience we see is life that she says, Yes, Lord, you can use me as a vessel for your son. And then she gives birth to Jesus, the new Adam. We see this recreating and redeeming of the story of Eve. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUNC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. I love this image uh, that I, it, I forget where I first saw it, but it came out I think a few years ago. And it's this image of Eve and Mary. And I think this really captures kind of the heart of what Luke is getting at here. So you see Eve here on the left. And if you look in her eyes, there's a lot of shame in Eve's eyes that she is carrying with her over what she's done. And she's holding an apple or a fruit, the, the sign, uh, the symbol of her disobedience towards God and her unbelief against God. And if you notice, at her, at her feet is wrapped around a snake. A snake is wrapped around her legs, indicating the the hold that sin and death had over Eve and the children of Eve. And on the right, we see Mary. We see Mary comforting Eve in the middle of her shame. And then Mary is holding Eve's hand to the Christ child, the child that would come and restore what she broke. And there's grace and there's mercy in that interaction. And then, if you look down at Mary's ankle, you can see that Mary, through the seed of Jesus, is crushing the serpent's head with her foot. That in Luke's gospel, we see that God redeems what Eve did in the garden through Mary that God brings both sexes into the salvation event. I love this quote from St. Augustine as he talks about God uh, not just doing it through a man or God just not doing it through a woman, but God uses both men and women to bring about the salvation of humanity. St. Augustine says this, As death had befallen us through a woman, life should be born to us through a woman. By this defeat, the devil would be tormented over the thought of both sexes, male and female, because he had taken delight in the defection of them both. The freeing of both sexes would not have been so severe a penalty for the devil unless we were also liberated by the agency of both sexes. That God uses both men and women to bring about the redemption of us. The redemption of humanity. That God uses men and women. Born of a woman. That the Christ child is born of a woman. Not just any woman, but born of a virgin. That there was no man involved in the birth of Jesus. That it was purely through the womb of Eve and the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus takes on a body. And Jesus takes on a male body. Like God sees the corruption of our bodies. I think as we get older, we become acutely aware of the corruption of our bodies. Scripture talks about that uh, outwardly we are wasting away. We can feel that. I mean, I'm almost 30, and I can already feel uh, my body wasting away. <laughs> but as we become older, we just become more and more acutely aware that it just seems like There's something broken in our bodies. And Christ comes not just to redeem our souls, but to redeem our bodies. Because when God created us in Genesis, he created us to have bodies. And in the new heaven, in the new earth, we will not be angelic spirits, but we will be fully human. And to be fully human means that we will be people who will have bodies that Christ, when he rises from the dead, that he is the first fruit of the resurrection of the dead, that, he is the, that we will have a body like Christ has for us, and that God redeems our bodies through his birth, that our bodies needed redemption, our bodies needed to be reclaimed and recreated, that God sees the brokenness of our state and chooses to do something about it. And this was necessary for God to take on the flesh of humans, to fully restore humans. The early church had this idea that God could not redeem what God did not become. Athanasius says this, If Christ is God, as he truly is, but did not assume manhood, then we are strangers to salvation. In other words, if God didn't come in human flesh, if Jesus didn't become one of us, then he could not redeem our bodies and he could not fully redeem us because we are people who have bodies. We're not just souls. We're souls and body because that's how God created us in Genesis. And then through the grace of our Lord, through his favor, the Lord comes and meets us in our brokenness, that God sees our brokenness and meets us there. In Luke, the angel says to Mary, you who are highly favored, uh, that Greek word could also be translated as grace. It's the exact same word for grace and favor because the, the underlying idea of grace means to have favor with God. It means that God chooses not to hold our sins against us that when we repent and turn to him, that we are in a state of favor, we are in a state of grace. That God sees our brokenness, God sees the corruption of our humanity, God sees the image that's been marred and condescends down to our corruption. That Jesus is born, it shows his humanity that he does take on flesh, he is born of a woman, but born of a virgin, that shows his divinity. And one thing I want to say about that is uh, a common charge that seems to be leveled against the church is that uh, did God come and sleep with Mary? Uh, The Lord doesn't need sexual relations to create. The Lord speaks and things come into being. That the Lord created Jesus in the womb of Mary. Athanasius has this other illustration. He talks about how Kings will go and conquer an area and then they'll establish like a little house or a mansion over in that new area. And so they'll go and they'll establish and this will be kind of the king's area. This will be where the king will go and live. He says, if the king then goes back to his palace and bandits come and take over his sort of second house his second mansion does the king then leave that house what is rightfully his in the hands of bandits or does he come and take over what is rightfully his and Athanasius gets at it and says of course the king would go and reclaim and restore and redeem what is rightfully his how much more will god come reclaim Redeem and restore us who are rightfully his. That we who rightfully belong to God, how much more will he come and be with us and rescue us? It says in this text, he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. That God sees us in our broken state and he comes and redeems and rescues and recreates us in his birth. So you may have been wondering, why does this matter? Uh, I love getting into these deep theology with y'all. But it's important to understand that our theology about God affects our relationship with him and it affects how we live our life. I talked about this a few weeks ago that there's these two sort of spheres in Christian thought. There's orthodoxy, which is right belief, and then orthopraxy, which is right right living, right practice, that you need to have right orthodoxy in order to have right orthopraxy. And so, the reason why this matters, the reason why Jesus coming and redeeming this way matters is because it shows us just how deeply invested God is in the redemption business. That God is so deeply and intimately connected to redemption. That all of this theology that we've been talking about today, this is just in relation to the birth of Jesus. We haven't even gotten to all the good stuff with the cross and the resurrection and his ministry. This is all just theology surrounding his birth. And really, this is just the Mary story of Jesus' birth and Mary becoming the new Eve. That God sees our need for redemption, and this goes to show the great lengths that our God will go to redeem us. I think we often forget just how beautiful the gospel is. How beautiful the story of God is. How beautiful this message of God coming to our level, literally becoming one of us. He who was eternally existent, condescended that he who was a king who reigned forever became a poor beggar took on our flesh, took on our corruption, took on all the frailties of what it means to be human. That God enters into our brokenness and the beauty of God bringing his redemption work in our brokenness. I've said this quote before by Augustine. It's one of my favorites. He says this, In my deepest wound I saw your glory and it dazzled me. In my deepest wound I saw your glory and it dazzled me that the redemption work that God wants to bring in your life is dazzlingly beautiful because it's a reflection of the dazzling beauty of our God. And so Jesus desires to come and bring redemption to you, to bring recreation to you, to come and fix the broken things of your soul, to fix the broken things of your life, to come and do a new work in you. So we respond like Mary, respond in submitting to obedience to God. That Mary's response is, yes, Lord, let what you have said happen. Because Mary trusted in God. One of the reasons I wanted to tell the story of what God does through Mary is to help you see who God is. To help you see the majesty, the glory, the beauty, and the goodness of God of what he wants to do in us so that when the Lord invites us deeper into himself, that as God draws near to us, we can draw near to him because we see him for who he really is. That the veil has been torn away, that he is someone who is worthy to be trusted. He is the lamb that was slain, the one who condescends to our level, the one who becomes like us, and he can be trusted. It says in Mary's story, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Mary. But God's desire is to overshadow us, to bring redemption to us. Are we willing to let him redeem us, to surrender and submit to him after hearing who this God is and all that he has done for us? going to invite the band and communion stewards up. There's this one passage in James that I really like. It says this in James 4.8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So the question, friends, is are we responding like Mary? Are we responding to God drawing near to us? Are we drawing closer to the Lord are we drawing close to God through, through submission, through prayer, through fasting, through scripture reading, through community? Are we choosing to draw close to God, acknowledging that as we do so, he will come close to us? Because God sees us for what we really are in all of our brokenness, and all of our corruption, and God chooses to come down to our level anyways, to show us favor, to show us grace, so friends, let's be like Mary and submit in obedience to this beautiful, wonderful God of redemption. Amen. So friends, before we do communion, I would just like to say uh, the Apostles' Creed together. It's a great way to just exclaim uh, the gospel story, exclaim our faith together. So would you say it with me? You'll be up on the screen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, The communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he was with his friends and he took a piece of bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body, which I break willingly for you. Every time you eat of this, do it in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup and he said, This is my blood that I am pouring out and shedding for you, a sign of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of this, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by your blood. Lord, we're thankful for the hope that you are a God who redeems our bodies. You're a God who is not ashamed of our bodies. You're a God who is not ashamed of our brokenness and that you choose to come down to us. And so, Lord, let these these elements of bread and juice become signs and symbols and a means of grace to us here today until we get new bodies and we feast with you forever at your heavenly banquet. Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. As we say the prayer that you taught us to pray, Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever.